Welcome to Orientalistics, podcast on language, culture, and religion. After a brief hiatus due to my workload and teaching seminars, I'm finally thrilled to be back with you on the podcast with a new episode. Uh, in this episode, I would like to elaborate on origin of human language, and this is a topic which uh, has always aroused the interest of thinkers. Many myths tend to give languages a uh, supernatural origin. The Bible thus explains the multiplicity of languages by the myth of Tower of Babel, the so-called in Hebrew Migdal Babel, according to which the single language of origins would have been divided into a multitude of languages to bring discord between men and prevent them from consulting uh, with a view to joint action. So, well, in this case, perhaps finding out the mystery of the divinity and God. To avoid a kind of shrill quarrels and struggles uh, and far-reach thesis, it went even so far in the academia that the pre-linguistic society um, had in 1865 informed its members in its uh, regulations that it would be no uh, r- longer, uh, let's say, receive, I quote, aucune communication concernant l'origine de langue, which means any communication concerning the origin of language will be prohibited. Today, the subject is studied scientifically within several disciplines, including paleontology, psychology, molecular biology, uh, anthropological uh, and and, um, psychological approach, and finally, historical linguistics, uh, which would be my metier and uh, would uh, elaborate on that in future episodes on the origin of human language. I call it explicitly human language because I personally do not believe that other species uh, do speak or apply languages the way humankind would do. The evolutionary history of human language is long and closely linked to the brain. But it is not clear what makes the human brain unique to the category of language? The brain regions involved in language in humans have their analogous in monkeys and great apes, yet the latter do not use language. Uh, there could also be a genetic component, mutations in the so-called forehead P2 protein gene prevent um, affected humans from constructing complete sentences, in fact. According to um, uh, John Maynard um, and uh, Eros Setemery, um, language appears to be the most recent of eight major uh, transitions in the evolution of humankind allowing the emergence of human societies. Uh, More generally, the evolution of communication allows the emergence of different levels of uh, 
sociability. In paleolinguistics, uh, the origin of language, um, also known as um, glutogony, is the period in which humans learned to articulate themselves um, linguistically using the spoken language, uh, which has not been dated. And this uh, origin is that, in fact, lacks um, of empirical uh, preconditions and that's why there is no uh, data about when the humankind started to choose the category of speeching as a faculty. The uh, theoretical explanations regarding the emergence of language and type of process uh, that took place differ considerably. Uh, well, kind of res results of uh, uh, zoosemitics, which provide uh, comparisons between human language and animal languages, uh, form a basis for the uh, so-called respective theories and are also the subject of uh, part of the biolinguistics. The representatives of natural sound theory and imitation theory argue about the nature of the process. Um, the latter, so it means the uh, proponents of imitation theory, um, they assume that uh, people initially imitated sounds, kind of uh, onomatopoeic approach, in order to express themselves. The natural sound theorists assume that the human species originally only used uh, the so-called exclamatory words like ow, pa, or words uh, out of the surprise or emotions. The assumption that all human languages have a common origin in a single source language is called the so-called uh, monoglogenetics or uh, monogenesis and involves uh, the assumption of a single proto-world language. Uh, something like that I already mentioned in the history of the Tower of Babel. Uh, in contradiction to this theory, uh, the polygenesis um, uh, assumes that several languages developed and spread at different times and in different places in the world. In this way, original languages emerged from which today's languages have been evolved, in fact. So there are different theories about the origin of uh, uh, languages, as I mentioned before. Uh, many important thinkers have discussed theories about uh, the linguistic origin of uh, uh, humankind and, uh, let's say, or the linguistic faculty of the humankind and its originality. And these includes, for example, uh, the approach uh, made um, already in the um, second half of the 18th century by Johann Gottfried Herder and also by, um, uh, by Jakob Grimm and there's the, the, the another brother of uh, the two brother Grimm's uh, on the origin of the language that has been already published in 1851. Um, there are also attempts on behalf of other linguists like uh, Chajim Sential, 
uh, about the origin of language in connection with the ultimate questions of all knowledge that has been published already in mid of nineteenth um, century in Berlin, and also Lazarus Geiger wrote in about eighteen hundred sixty nine uh, a book uh, on origin of language or Ursprung der Sprache in German. So uh, finally, uh, Ludwig Noiret wrote also um, in 1877 um, a work on origin of language. So it means that um, um, almost um, simultaneously in different areas in Europe around the 19th century, um, beginning of the 19th century, the first attempts have been in fact undertaken to find out and discover the, uh, the mystery of the origin of the languages. Herder, for example, uh, represented an uh, onomatopoeic uh, origin of the language that was popular for a long time, and uh, where he uh, proposed that uh, the languages that humankind uh, use, in fact, uh, uh, they have their origin in the nature, and that's why this is kind of onomatopoeic, means, uh, in fact, morphosyntactic parroting of the nature. Um, for Jakob Grimm, the most important question was, I quote in German, ob wir die Sprache als ein erschaffenes oder unerschaffenes ansehen können. Ist die Sprache von Gott erschaffen worden? Ist er erster Sprung für uns völlig undurchsehbar oder undurchschaubar? Ist sie aber unerschaffen? durch den Menschen selbst gebildet worden, dann kann man sich auch als Sprachforscher mit dieser Frage auseinandersetzen. So, uh, he means in fact whether we can view language as something created or uncreated, um, the, the approaches would differ. If language was created by God, uh, its initial origin would be, uh, hence, completely incomprehensible to us. But if it is uncreated, it means formed by human himself, then as a linguist, you can also deal with this question. This approach, end quote, by the way, this approach was highly secular and modern within its genre essentially laying the groundwork or the milestone for the so-called profane or scientific non-theological approach to understanding the origin of language. Uh, Friedrich Max Müller rejected the onomatopoeic and the, let's say, interjectional theories of the origin of languages and ironically called them bow-wow theory or pa-pa theory um, and um, Ernest Cassia rejected the theories as being too speculative. Well, there are also theories on the holistic language genesis, and um, this theory, known also, um, also as uh, a complexity before simplicity approach, is a theory of evolutionary origin of uh, human language. Uh, this theory, and I mean this uh, holistic language genesis theory, uh, was uh, originally founded in 1922 uh, by uh, Otto Jespersen, 
uh, a Danish linguist and uh, in contrast to the language genesis theories that existed up to that point, um, in fact, um, brought a new light into the linguistic society. This theory assumes that language originally had no uh, recognizable grammatical system or morphemes. It means it lacked the, let's say, uh, let's say uh, compositionality typical of today's human language. This idea, of course, this idea later has been rigorously uh, opposed by Noam Chomsky, the renowned American linguist in late sixties of the last century, uh, 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 through his famous theory of universal grammar, as uh, Chomsky put it, and I quote. Evidently, a development of language in the individual must uh, involve three factors. Genetic endowment, which sets limits on the attainable language, thereby making language acquisition possible. External data um, converted to the experience that selects one or um, another language within narrow range. And finally, principles not specific to the faculty of language, end quote. Anyway, um, our Danish linguist, Otto Jespersen, uh, proposed that language originally um, uh, consisted uh, of utterances that captured a complete situation, such as, such as, for example, come on, let's hunt mammoths. Or this utterance would not then suggest that the utterance of come, uh, let's hunt antelopes uh, contains any similar components. According to this linguistic theory, both utterances are completely unique and cannot be broken down into similar units. Yes, person uh, suspects that early human proto-language uh, or proto-languages were songs that um, acquired meaning components that became later on increasingly sophisticated over time. By associating certain songs uh, with their singers or with places, etc., uh, proper names emerged um, as the first word category, further onomatopoetics, and finally, uh, uh, let's say, uh, um, kind of uh, through transfers, sound shifts and other process of chimes in both the environment and the language, meaning have been uh, created that were completely abstract and, and in, in, in fact bestowed on um, abstract components and concepts. A different holistic approach is uh, advocated by the American linguist uh, Alison Ray. Um, um, according to this, the holistic utterances, yet whatever as, as words or songs, remains in fact unnamed and, and it is in fact um, not very relevant, not, uh, is quite irrelevant. Uh, so these uh, utterances were retained for a long time and their presence prevented the creation of real words because they were too specific and therefore not possible that could be handed down, in fact. Instead, um, systematic structures in the language developed late 
and were initially only be to were able to express very general terms presumably in form of verbs or actions or function words and but not complete sentences since the holistic system was self-contained it took a very long time for humans to uh, let's say replace it with uh, uh, systematic language that we do know as modern um, um, human language uh, this system has uh, let's say a great advantage uh, of explaining why human civilization only appeared so late in the biological history of, uh, let's say, Homo sapiens, or why uh, there was a sudden advance in human evolution with uh, the beginning of uh, sedentary life. However, uh, this can also be explained with the phenomenon of uh, sedentary behavior itself and many other approaches. Nevertheless, it cannot be ruled out that a language plays a fundamental role in the foundation of historical civilization. Alison Ray, uh, uh, let's say, bases the emergence of a holistic language on the observation of holistic experience of and primates. But in my view, as a historical linguist, she fails to provide any evidence of the holistic nature of primate communication systems. And uh, for me, uh, this theory lacks validity. Um, and in fact, I'm not the only one who opposes this idea. Then the holistic theories of language genesis are opposed to the uh, uh, constructivist theories of language genesis, which maintain that uh, form function mappings are uh, in fact uh, derived from uh, distributional patterns in, in the input and the contextual embedding. This requires a detailed analysis of the input and the integration of information from different, um, let's say, contingencies. For example, the language learner or language speaker, um, they both aim to match a target provided by uh, mature users, though we elaborate on this subject in later episodes to come. Um, there are criticisms on, on, on language origin uh, speculation, in fact, and, and this criticism um, has uh, repeatedly been expressed that a philosophical and linguistic uh, treatise on the origin of language are purely speculative because there is a fundamental lack of means of testing hypotheses. So the ban uh, that I uh, talked about that uh, expressed by Société de, Ling uh, de Linguistique de Paris, not to discuss about origin of the language, uh, pronounced in 1866, became very famous. It pointed out that there was no empirically verifiable evidence for the origin of languages, and that's why... Uh, let's not talk about that. And of course, this uh, this very conservative approach have been overruled, overruled later. And at the beginning of twentieth century, we see uh, exponentially um, um, treaties and articles and books, particularly in the German speaking world, uh, um, elaborating and excavating the origin of languages. 
Well, throughout human history, experiments or incidental findings and events have been described in which children grew up without language training. These experiments and uh, and events uh, potentially uh, make it possible to investigate natural language acquisition, or so-called NLA, and thus draw kind of conclusions about the origin of language. So, and this uh, were in fact um, um, some incidents that uh, also uh, provoked this uh, curiosity, talking and working and ex- exploring on the um, language of humankind. So the alleged experiments of the uh, Emperor uh, Frederick II, the Roman king of the Sicily, of uh, the Roman Empire, in 13th century um, are widely notorious. He is said to have isolated newborn children um, in an attempt to unveil the original language of humanity, while such a method, of course, is uh, beyond imagination and inconceivable in our contemporary era. Uh, it underscores, in fact, the uh, the uh, enduring and intrinsic desire of humankind to discover the origins of language. Language is a phenomenon particular to humankind. Language is based on a vocabulary whose finite number of elements can be combined and compounded in an infinite number of ways. Furthermore, this vocabulary is not fixed. While some of the words appear, others disappear or undergo a semantic or morphological change. So these two characteristics of language would make it uniquely human faculty. The linguist Emile uh, Benveniste observes and uh, interprets the dance of bees, for example, and uh, he deduces that the difference between the bee dance and the human language lies in the fact that the bee dance, in fact, is not uh, spontaneous, but consists of a response to an environmental uh, stimulus. Additionally, uh, one bee's dance leads um, other bees uh, to have a different um, reaction or behavior and not necessarily to dance back. Uh, furthermore, there is no exchange between them. Um, later in the uh, uh, late 60s of the last century, uh, the idea of the universal grammar has been emerged, uh, particularly pioneered by Noam Chomsky. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, the linguistic uh, bioprogram hypothesis suggests that humans have an innate grammatical cognitive structure that allows them to develop and understand language per se. According to this theory, this system is rooted in human genetics and uh, in fact underpins the basic grammar of all languages. Some evidence suggests that uh, at least part of our language abilities is genetically controlled. Mutations in the so-called forked P2 or FOXP2 protein gene uh, prevent some individuals from transforming words and sounds into sentences. However, these genes are present in the heart, lungs, and brain, and their role is not fully established. 
It is, um, in fact, conceivable that humans' grammatical ability evolved from a non-semantic behaviors such as singing. Um, uh, birds possess, in fact, the capacity to produce, process, and learn complex sounds. Yet, the individual units of a bird song, when stripped out of the context of their broader meaning and context, uh, within uh, the song as a whole, lacks any inherent meaning. So it means, in fact, uh, uh, the, the, this, the, this, uh, the, the act of the singing on behalf of a bird does just mean within the context of the um, this uh, this situation and 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 situative uh, environment in which the bird does exist, and if you just repeat from the context, that singing doesn't have any contextuality and any meaning. Um, well, early uh, hominids maybe um, have developed an, an analogous non-semantic abilities, which subsequently evolved to a um symbolic language and this is also a topic i would like to talk about that in our future episodes on uh, revolutionary anthropology um further there are of course social and and psychological um aspects and cements regarding the origins of languages for example in 1996 in his book grooming gossip and the evolution of language uh, Robin uh, Dunbar, a prominent figure of evolutionary psychology, formulated a hypothesis about the evolution of language in humans. Uh, similar to uh, how non-human primates maintain their social bonds through um, activities like delousing, it means to remove each other's lice, humans uh, foster social bonds through um, conversation and language. Dunbar suggests that humans, as they evolved, favored the language over grooming because the size of their groups and societies uh, had become too large. So, uh, language as social cement would have taken less time and allowed the individuals to uh, do several things at once. Um, this is the so-called gossip theory. This um, idea um, uh, is trying to say that even um, small anecdotal conversations uh, which do not uh, transmit essential information necessarily for the survival are important in that they create kind of social bonds with the, within the people. Um, Robin Denver is actually a renowned um, psychologist and evolutionary psychologist um, and um, uh, and his expertise is rather in primate behavior and he's notably recognized for the formulating Dunbar number uh, 148 in which he uh, um, proposes that the cognitive limit of number of people with whom an individual can maintain stable relationship is just 148 people. So it's kind of a uh, strange idea in my eyes. That's why uh, um, I cannot really put up myself with this um, psychological approach towards the origin of the human's language. But of course, there are some uh, points that could be considered in his theory, uh, which again will be elaborated in future episodes.
Um, finally, I would like to talk about the uh, proto-languages. In, it is difficult, of course, to imagine that a language appeared um, all at once. Some argue that the language follows a gradual evolution from a primitive language, and um, a languages do not uh, fossilize, so linguistic methods uh, must be used to uh, reconstruct these so-called primitive language and intermediate languages known as uh, so-called proto-languages. Two hypotheses um, have uh, clashed actually since the 19th century, particularly in the uh, German-speaking world. Um, uh, those of the so-called monogenesis, as I uh, as I explained before, and polygenesis of languages. So it means those who believe that all languages go back to one origin, kind of that you have it also in the Old Testament, or the polygenesis approach of the languages, that the languages in different areas, in different regions, in different eras emerged maybe simultaneously or maybe with a time difference that they had nothing to do with each other genetically. So recent work in anthropology, archaeology, genetics, and linguistics uh, suggest the hypothesis of a common original language. Well, based on lexical similarities, linguists had already uh, been able to establish for more than a century ago the approximate uh, genealogical three, three of large family of languages originating from uh, um, the European family. In 2003, for example, uh, Gray and, and, and uh, Atikson proposed applying to 2,449 terms from 87 languages of this language family is in the European languages that have all been computerized um, um, in, a, in a very polygenetic method like that used in, um, let's say, molecular biology to construct the family trees from, let's say, DNA. This method takes as uh, its basic unit not the lexemes but the um, um, phonemes representing different languages, considering that the number of the uh, phonemes of a language increases according to the number of the speakers who, uh, who speak it, uh, but uh, decreases when a, uh, let's say, subgroup emigrates from uh, far from the parent family, um, they were thus able to establish um, so-called the um, the expansion in of in the European uh, language family corresponds to the development of the agriculture from the Anatolian plateau between let's say seven thousand and hundred years ago to nine thousand hundred years ago before our time. So in two thousand eleven, um, 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 uh, th those linguists applied their model to a larger number of languages in a database of four hundred five or 404 languages, I think. Um, for example, um, um, Attingson observes that the creation um, or the certain, let's say, certain African languages have more than 100 phonemes, while Hawaiian, for example, which is the language, um, in fact, uh, from the African cradle, has only just 13 um, um, compared to 45 in English or let's say 36 in French or German. This uh, decrease in um, phoneme diversity as a function of the stance uh, uh, comparable to that 
observed in genetic characteristics would imply, according to um, Attingson, that human language originated in Southwest Africa between 50,000 and 100,000 years ago. And uh, last but not least, there is a baby down theory. According to this theory, a vocal, um, in fact, interactions between early um, homoids uh, mothers and their infants triggered a sequence of events that ultimately led to our ancestors' first words. In this matter, uh, Dean Falk, an American academic um, specializing in brain evolution and, and cognition uh, uh, theory, believes that um, that early human mothers, unlike their counterparts in other primates, uh, could not move and feed uh, uh, with their infants um, clinging to their backs. So, um, so the loss of uh, fear left the infants with no way to cling on. Often mothers then had to put their babies on the floor and as a result, these babies needed to be reassured. So hence mothers um, are, let's say, thought to have responded to their baby's cries by developing an infant-directed communicative system encompassing facial expressions, body language, touch, pats, uh, and and so on, laughter, tricking, and emotionally expressive calls to calm down their babies. According to Dan Falk, the language could have appeared this way. Well, um, there are also so-called neuro neurobiological adaptations um, which are uh, favorable to the um, reconstruction of the idea of the origin of the language. And these are the regions of the brain where language occurs, everything from the speaking to reading and writing. Language itself is based on symbols used. They represent, of course, concepts in the world. And, and this system appears to be uh, stored in these areas of the brain. So uh, language origins, uh, or, in fact, for the bilinguists, uh, language regions in the human brain strongly resemble their similar regions um, in, in other primates like the apes, even though humans are the only, one and only capable species of using language. The brain structures of chimpanzees, for example, are very similar to those of the human. Uh, humans and the, the latter, I mean the humans, uh, both have uh, homologous bocas and um, so-called um, 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 vernicus areas, which are involved in communication. The primary function of the uh, broca area are both language production and comprehension. Yet bocas area is largely used for planning and producing sounds in both chimpanzees and humans. Uh, Wernicke's area appears to be where linguistic representations and symbols are assigned to specific concepts. This feature is present in both chimpanzees and humans. The chimpanzee's Wernicke area is much more similar to its human counterpart than Boca's area is, but uh, 
but to its human co- counterpart, suggesting that the Vernicus area has been evolving for a longer time than Brokaw's. And uh, the last um, approach is the so-called the paleontological point of view. Um, it is, in fact, the so-called Homo habilis, that more than two million years ago, uh, who could be the oldest uh, pre-human to have used an articulated language. Which does not mean that this, uh, let's say, uh, hominid, used an articulated language the way that we do now, uh, comparable to our uh, contemporary understandable phonetical language. But we assume that the pre-existence of a proto-language, um, let's say song by Neanderthal man, the so-called the singing Neanderthal, um, uh, was actually that um, breaking point that at the current level of the knowledge uh, did not exp- um, possess any kind of a syntax, but it was actually the initiation of that that we later on call it as language. On this point, we elaborate in our future episodes as well. Well, language plays a crucial role in the development of fundamental human characteristics, particularly um, thought and reflective considerations. Consideration of wild children, deprived from normal intellectual uh, development, underscores uh, the profound impact language has on shaping the essence of humanity. Until our next episode, take care and stay tuned.